Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So I don't want to just dig right into our study as far as just digging into the verses, but I want to kind of give you a little backup. If you were here last week, this might be a little bit of a review for you. But um, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives a uh, defense and he kind of uh, goes through the history of Israel, starting with, uh, uh, well, I think with Abraham, actually. And in Acts chapter 7, he says that the God of glory um, appeared to Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. And, uh, and God had given uh, Abram a promise. What was God's promise? Well, it's in the beginning here of Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, so we get the, the actual what God had told Abram there when he was in Ur of Chaldees um, in Mesopotamia. And so what was Abram's response? Abram's response was that he left Ur. Uh, he left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land that God would show him. Um, but there's a few things that we talked about last week. His father, um, Terah, actually led the group you know, the, the patriarch of the family. He was supposed to separate from his family, but his father, Terah, came and led the group there. Um, his nephew, Lot, came along, uh, and they didn't go to Canaan. They only went as far as Haran, and they settled down there. It was like halfway obeying the Lord. And so they're there in, in Haran, and then, and then Terah dies. And it's at that point that we read in verse 4, chapter 12, it says, So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had uh, gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still further, uh, st- going on still toward the south. So Abraham... After a period of time, and we don't know how long it was, he's now 75 years old, and he's back on track to obey the Lord. And he's going to Canaan as the Lord had spoken to him years, probably, who knows, decades or whatever, but years earlier back in Mesopotamia. Now, there's a slight issue. He didn't, again, he still didn't completely separate from his family because Lot, his nephew, is, an, is accompanying him. And as you'll see as we get into the, further on into the story of Abraham, there's going to be some problems with um, having Lot accompanying him. Now, I let, mentioned earlier, and we, we don't really know how long um, Abram was in Haran. Uh, there's people are divided on that and scripture really doesn't reveal it to us but we do know that the time was wasted Um, now 
now that Abraham is once more obeying God's command, you know, his initial command, now he's in the land of Canaan. He's, he's gone into the land of Canaan, and now it's now that the Lord appears to him a second time. The Lord didn't appear to him in, in Haran. And now the Lord gives him greater revelation. You see, the Lord will speak to our hearts, and then he wants us to obey him. And he's not going to give you further revelation until you take that step of obedience. And then he reveals more to you. That's exactly what happened with Abram. He received greater revelation. And the Lord said, you know, Abram's now he's finally in the promised land. And and the Lord says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. You know, the disciples, they once asked Jesus, they said, Jesus... Teach us how to pray. It's recorded in Matthew's gospel, and it's recorded in Luke's gospel. And Jesus does that. He teaches them how to pray. And he starts out, he says, when you pray, this is what you should say. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you guys know the Lord's Prayer, right? In fact, when I was growing up, there used to be, it wasn't really a rock song, but there was a nun that that did the Lord's Prayer to to contemporary music. I don't know if you remember that. I I remember it all the time. It was on AM radio. But anyways... um, that word, hallowed be your name, is the word hagiazo. It's a Greek word, hagiazo, and it means to make holy. And, of course, it could mean ceremonially to purify or to set something apart, but also means mentally to venerate something. And Jesus didn't just teach the disciples, okay, every time you pray, this is what you're to pray. You know, he didn't want them to have a rote formula to just memorize and, and pray whenever they're praying. But what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples is that this is the attitude of your heart. This is what your heart should, attitude should be. And it's a way that you should live your lives. And you see, I bring this up because we see this in Abram's life. We see this in Abraham. Think about this. Abram went from being a pagan worshiper in uh, Mesopotamia to becoming a worshiper of the living God. And from that point on, everywhere he goes, he builds an altar to the Lord. Everywhere he goes, he's building an altar. Why? Because he set apart the Lord in his heart. He's, he's venerating the Lord. He's setting him apart in his heart. And also, everywhere Abraham goes, he pitches a tent. And we're told in Hebrews, it's because he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, going back to the Lord's Prayer, not only did the Lord say, uh, say that, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, but he continues, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Abraham, man, he believed God's promise. You know, he was living his life as if God would actually fulfill his promise. Imagine that. God said this, I think he's going to actually do what he says. Uh, if you look at Abraham's life, that's what he was doing. You know, a lot of Christians will say that they believe that the things of this life burn, right? It's like, oh, it's, it doesn't matter, it's all going to burn one day. We, we say that the things in this life are only temporary and one day they're going to pass away. But if you look at some Christians' lives... You wonder, do they really believe it? Why? Because they're building their kingdom here. They're so, they're so consumed with building their kingdom here that they're not. Well, Abram, man, he's just, everywhere he goes, he's, he's putting, pitching a tent. He's not setting down roots. Everywhere he goes, he's got the Lord on his heart. He's, he's building an altar and worshiping the Lord. So here Abraham is back on track, right? So far, so good. And he's in the promised land. I mean, you'd think, wow, I mean, he's where the Lord wants him to be. Things are going to just start going really smooth now, right? But guess what? It doesn't. He gets into the land of promise, and there's a famine in the land of promise. 
Has that ever happened to you? That has happened to me. It's like, Lord, I, I, I know you've told me to do this. I'm obeying you. Now why am I having this trial? Why is there this difficulty going on? And it's, you know, God frequently does that. You know what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12? He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't freak out when things happen. Why? Because trials are sent by the Lord to test us and to purify our faith. You see, it's really easy to trust God when things are going great. It's really easy to trust him in times of plenty, but it's an entirely different thing to trust him in times of need. And so God's doing a work in Abraham's heart, just like he does in our lives as well. There's a couple other benefits of trials. You might say, I don't know any benefits of trials. Well, one is to increase your faith, to, to, uh, to cause you to grow in your faith. But also, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Sometimes God lets us go through trials so that we can learn his comfort, but then we can also have a heart of compassion towards others. Because once you've gone through something and then you see somebody else go through it, it's one thing to give them from your head, well, you know, God will bless you, God will take care of you. you know. But it's another thing to go, you know what, I know exactly where you're at because I've gone through it. And guess what? God's faithful. God's faithful. He's, he hasn't abandoned you. So undergoing trials and famines in our lives also produces compassion in us and enables us to comfort others from the heart and not just from the head. And so here Abram, you know, he's in the land of promise. He's finally back on track obeying the Lord, and now there's a famine in the land. What's Abraham going to do? Well, to be fair to Abraham, think about this. There's a lot of people depending on him. You might say, well, yeah, okay, there's his wife, Sarah, which is true. Um, there's his nephew, Lot, that's true. Um, but you know what? He also had servants that he had acquired. In fact, we learned one by name. His name is Eliezer of Damascus. We'll hear about him later on. Um, by the way, when we get to chapter 14 in about 10 minutes, no, we won't get there tonight, but or today. It would be tonight if we got there. But in chapter 14, Abram has to rescue Lot, right? Lot gets captured. That's a whole other Bible study. Um, we're told in, in chapter 14 that Abraham takes 300 trained servants from his household who are trained to use the sword to go and rescue Lot. 300 servants. And they're trained. They're men. Um, so trained 300 trained men you wonder how many wives how many women were involved how many children did they have um it's possible if you figure 300 men at minimum plus wives plus children there could be a hundred a possible up to a thousand people if you think about it that are depending on abraham so it's not just just himself he's got a lot of people to feed not only that but he also we find out he has lots of livestock he was a wealthy person. And so he's got all these animals to feed. So, you, you, you know, to be fair to Abraham, what's he going to do? He's in the land of famine. All these people are looking to him, which probably shouldn't be in the first place, but they're probably looking for him. Abraham, what are we going to do? There's no food. And so what are we told? Genesis 12, verse 10. 
Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, was this a good thing for Abraham to do? Well, on the surface, yeah. He's taking care of all these people, these animals. He's got to feed them somehow. There's food in Egypt, evidently, so he's going to go and bring them down there. But you know the Bible's a good commentary on itself. In Isaiah 31, verse 1, you know what it says? It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt. He says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. And you might say, wait a minute, that's out of context. That's true. The context of Isaiah 31 is Isaiah's prophesying <coughs> excuse me, to the kings of Judah. They were not to rely on horses for military strength. They were not to go down to Egypt to trust in Egypt for deliverance. But it's the same concept. Going down to Egypt, trusting in Egypt for deliverance instead of the Lord. So it wasn't a good thing for Abram to do down there. You know, it's interesting as we go through the Bible, Egypt is pictured in the Bible as a type of the world. And I know geographically he's north and he's going south. And so normally when you're north and you go south, you go down, right? We're going down to Texas. Or we're going down to Mexico, whatever. You don't go up to Mexico if you're, down in Minnesota, if you're up in Minnesota, right? You go down. So, you know, I mean, but it's interesting. I think there's some symbolism going down to Egypt. Whenever they go to Jerusalem, they're always going up to Jerusalem. And again, Egypt or Jerusalem's north, but it's also on a hill. So you, anywhere you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. But that's the city of the Lord, right? You're going up. But you're going down when you're going to Egypt. Sorry about that. (laughs) He knows what I'm talking about. Um, What else did the Lord teach his disciples to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, God had promised to bless Abraham. He was going to give Abraham the land of Canaan. um, And... If God is going to do that, then even in the face of famine, somehow God is going to provide. Now, Abraham's going to learn to trust in the Lord in the face of the impossible. But right now, he has to learn it the hard way. You know, sometimes it's true with our lives, right? We, we just have to learn things the hard way, and that's just what Abraham's going to do. You know, it's really easy at this point to slam Abraham and go, man, what a weakling, you know? The father of our faith, he, he, he just started out weak in faith. Now, he's going to grow in faith, but he started out weak. But you know what? Abraham really already has great faith, if you think about it. I mean, how much do you think it took for him to come home one day to his family and say, hey, we're changing religions. I'm changing. I mean, I, the God of, of glory has appeared to me, the living God, and, and, and I want to worship him. I'm no longer going to worship these idols. You know, it's like, like, what? What's going on with you, you know? And not only that, but he told me to leave this land. Oh, okay, so where are we going? I don't know. He said, just trust him. Just go. So we're going, and he'll tell us as we go. That's take some faith. It's like if you came home one day from work and go, honey, uh, the Lord just spoke to us. He wants us to move. And your wife go, okay, uh, where are we supposed to? I don't know. We're just going to pack up the U-Haul and we're going to (laughs) go. I mean, that would take some faith, wouldn't it? So Abram didn't just have small faith. um, But nonetheless, he falters in his faith in this place. Notice, when Abram goes down to Egypt, the whole time he's in Egypt, 
There's no record of him building an altar. He doesn't build an altar there. Why? Because fear is affecting his worship. Um, this is the very time, of course, you know, when you're going through a famine, you're going through a time of fear, or like you don't know what to do. This is, of course, we know that this is the time that we should be calling on the Lord, right? We should be coming to him uh, before you even go down, before you even go, you know, I'm going down to Egypt. So it's like, Lord, what am I going to do? And, I, you know, I can imagine Abraham probably did pray. Um, but once he does, makes that decision, he goes down to Egypt, the Lord... Uh, he doesn't build an altar in Egypt, and the Lord never appears to him in Egypt either. In fact, the Lord isn't going to appear to Abraham again until after he is back in the land of Canaan, but not only in the land of Canaan, it's after he and Lot separate. That's the next time the Lord's going to appear to him. So they're heading down to Egypt. He's got, you know, they, they know that they've got food down there, and as they're heading down, not only is Abraham's worship affected, but his fear is growing. Now, I came across this um, according to Alfred Edersheim, and actually there's a couple other uh, sources that's, that quote this. But there's a British, in the British Museum, there's an ancient muse- Egyptian papyrus, you know what they wrote on, uh, which dates to a little bit later than the time of Abraham, but it relates how a pharaoh, on the advice of his counselor, sent armies to take away a man's wife by force and then to murder her husband. So this was, these pharaohs, they had a reputation of doing this at that time. I mean, they had priorities, okay? They did not, they, adultery was wrong. They didn't believe in adultery. So what they would do, if they saw a woman that they liked, they wouldn't do adultery. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't commit adultery. What they'd do is they'd kill the husband. Then they would take the woman as their wife. You know, hey, they got their priorities, right? So evidently, adultery was wrong, but murder was, hey, it's okay. So... You know, the world, again, picture the world. The world's priorities are screwed up, aren't they? <laughs> Just like this. Well, Abraham has probably heard of the reputation of Pharaoh. Maybe he's told people, hey, I'm heading down to Egypt. They have, well, have you heard what happens down there? Um, and so as they're heading down to Egypt, Pharaoh's fear is growing. Verse 11 it says, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. See, this is not an irrational fear that Abraham has. It's based on reality. But Jesus, as he was teaching his disciples to pray, says in one of the parts of the prayer, is like, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What was Abraham's temptation? It was to lie about Sarah. And he was doing it out of fear. Again, it wasn't an irrational fear. Um, but the problem is, Abraham's already compromised by going down to Egypt instead of trusting in the Lord for his daily bread, instead of looking to the Lord to take care of him in the land of promise. So fear is starting to take over. And uh, he finds himself giving in to that temptation to protect himself. And you know the thing that sometimes we do? Abraham did it too. He rationalized it. Why? Because we'll find out in chapter 20 of Genesis that Sarah actually is his half-sister. Not, it's not an entire, it's not entirely, uh, a, a, you know, it's a half-truth. But you, we all know, right, half-truth, 
we tell a half truth, we mean well, but a half truth is a total lie, right? We we know that. Well, remember, Abraham is seventy five years old, and Sarah is actually ten years his junior, so she's sixty five years old at this point. And uh, we, she didn't have any children, so she wasn't a grandma, and evidently she didn't look like a grandma either. She's you know, I mean, she's like sixty five year old babe, and uh, and Abraham's like, hey, and y- you know, hey. She'll prove to be, and we'll see this here in a minute. Verse 14, So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Listen, the princes, generally princes are younger, right? They're younger men. The princes, these younger men, they look, see this 65-year-old woman that comes in and they go, wow, she's a knockout. Wait till Pharaoh hears about this. And, you know, they're not going to, like, you know, beauty's in the eye to behold her, Pharaoh. You've got to just trust us. You know, you know she must have been good-looking because they're not going to risk their lives going, hey, Pharaoh, check this woman out, you know. Um, and so she was evidently very beautiful. Now, so this happened just like Abram, you know, was afraid it was going to happen. Now, was Abram being a dodo? <laughs> I don't know what else to say. You wives might have a better word for it. You know, he's a jerk, whatever. Um, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Um, what about Sarah? You know, what were her choices? What, what could she have done in this situation? Well, there's a few things I think she could have done. She could have resented him, and she could have just ripped him, right? She could have said, what a jerk. Abraham, big man of faith, you know, you're, you're doing this, you know. I'm mean, Really, she could have said that, right? Um, she could have openly rebuked him. Uh, you know, she could have said, look at this guy, what a dodo, man. He pretends to be a man of God, but look what he's just done to me. You know, she could have paid him back. Hey, Pharaoh, did you know that Abram's actually my husband? You know, I mean, she could have, she could have got him into deep, trouble. <laughs> I got to keep it right. <laughs> was Abram in the wrong? Absolutely. Was he submitted to the spirit of God? Absolutely not, right? He, it was his job to protect his bride. Um, it was his job not to leave her exposed and vulnerable and put her in a place of compromise, but that's exactly what he did. I mean, what would your wives do if your husband did something like this? Put yourselves into, into Sarah's position, position. Maybe your husband has done something like this, or maybe he is doing something like this. What, what do you do about it? You know, she could have taken matters into her own hands, right? She could have done something. She could have made his life miserable for making hers miserable. You know, we always talk about Abraham's faith. The Bible, you know, he's the father of the faith. But the apostle Peter also... I think indirectly, doesn't leave Sarah unmentioned. She was a woman of faith as well. In 1 Peter 3, verse 1, Paul writes this to the wives. He says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart 
with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. She was submissive to her husband, but not in the sense of being a doormat, right? Her conduct was a testimony to Abraham. She had a quiet, that incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, and she trusted in God. She wasn't trusting in Abraham. He was being a dodo, so she was trusting in God. Now, I'm not suggesting, okay? I don't want you to mistake me. I'm not suggesting that if your husband goes to you and says, Honey, um, I want you to lie about this. I want you to sin in this area and stuff. I'm not suggesting that, well, you just need to compromise yourself and you just need to submit to him. I'm not, I'm not saying that, okay? Um, I'm also not suggesting that you remain quiet and not share your heartfelt, you know, this is, hey, uh, honey, I don't think this is right. I, you know, this, I think we're in sin if we do this. I, I don't think it's wrong for you. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you don't say that. But look at Sarah. She's an example of a godly woman. She didn't look to her husband to deliver her. She didn't try to take things into her own hands. She just trusted in God to deliver her. And that's according to the inspired words of Peter, okay? This is Peter. Um, The Holy Spirit's inspired him to to share that with us. And I can imagine Sarah's prayer life was probably really growing at this time. So meanwhile, so she's in the, you know, and and it's not like she was going to get married that day, but, um, you know, she's probably getting prepared in his harem, right, to be presented to to the Pharaoh. So meanwhile, Pharaoh's looking at Moses or looking at Abraham going, this is my future brother-in-law, and so I'm going to treat him really well. And so she do- he does. Says he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And I can imagine Abraham probably already feels really really bad about what he's done. You know, it's, when you tell a lie, man, I, I tell you, you feel trapped, right, sometimes. And it's like, man, why did, I, why did I say that lie? And now it's like, how do I extricate myself from it? I can't. And so I can imagine every time Pharaoh goes, hey, bro, <laughs> check out these camels, man. They're yours. You know, have them. You know, I can't imagine every time that guilt is just like, oh, what did I do? You know, he's probably feeling more and more guilty about lying uh, about Sarah. And Jesus told the disciples and teaches us to pray and say, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Abram had sinned. Um, He'd sinned against the Lord. He'd sinned against uh, his wife for certain. And he also had sinned against Pharaoh. And like I said, Abram probably feels trapped in his sins. Now, it's not like I'm just teaching you guys something. You've, you go, yeah, oh, lying. I wonder what that's like. We all know what lying is, right? We've all done it. We've all lied. We all know what that feels like to be backed into a corner where it's like, do I tell the truth or do I lie? And, and the easiest thing is just to lie, right? It just, or a half-truth, just, just enough to get by or whatever. The problem is, or I should say one of the hardest things, is once you've taken that step, is to go to a person and say, you know what, I actually was lying. And that, without giving excuses, without minimizing it, just saying, you know what, I've, I've lied to you. That, that's one of the hardest things to do if you've ever done that. It's very difficult to do. 
the temptation and the need sometimes is to cover the lie with more lies, right? And it just snowballs. In fact, I've known people and I know people that they've, they've grown up telling lies so much it's become a part of them that they are habitual liars and it's at the point where if, if you were outside and you'd say if they came in and they'd say man the sky's blue you go i wonder if it really is blue because they, they lie all the time right and so it's like oh, it must be raining outside because i don't know you know but that happens and uh you know you can become a habitual liar. you can forget who you told the lies to then you gotta like okay now what did i tell that person what did i do you know the easiest man i tell you I've got a short memory, and it's so much easier if you just tell the truth, then you don't have to remember, who did I tell what to? It's just like, just tell the truth, right? Sarah's going to need to forgive Abraham, plain and simple. If she doesn't, she's going to grow resentful, and there's going to be a root of bitterness that's going to grow in her heart towards her husband. Like I said earlier, she could have been vengeful. She could have taken matters into her own hands. But like Peter says, she trusted in the Lord to deliver us. And that last part of that, of that, the Lord's prayer is, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. She looked, she, she couldn't, well, she could have, you know, got Abraham in trouble. Uh, she could have took matters in her own hands. Instead, she just trusted the Lord. And guess what? The Lord delivered her. Abraham didn't deliver her. He was being a dodo. But the Lord delivered her. Verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. You know, whenever things seem helpless in the Bible, and, and we get a lot of stories in the Bible where it seems like all hope is lost. There's three words that always show up in the scriptures that makes the difference, but the Lord, but the Lord. And that's what happens here. The Lord shows up. You know, Sarah was to be carry the son of the promise, right? God was going to promise a, a son, and it wasn't going to be through Pharaoh. <laughs> it was going to be through Abraham. And uh, God's faithful to his promises. And even when we're unfaithful, you know, you just look, it's just a story of grace here towards Abraham and Sarah. Sarah couldn't count on her husband to save her. She's in a vulnerable place at this point. All that she could do was look to the Lord, and guess what? He was faithful, and he delivered her. Verse 18. Now, of course, we don't even know what this plague was, right? We have no idea what it was. But verse 18, it says, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Here, Abram's rebuked by a heathen. Is that ever ha you don't have to raise your hand. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> It's happened to me on more than one, actually two occasions that I can distinctly remember where I was rebuked by a heathen. I thought you were a Christian. That is one of the worst, feel, worst feelings you can get, right? It's like, oh, man, I just blew my testimony and stuff. It's not fun being rebuked by a heathen, and that's exactly what happened to Abraham. He's rebuked. Sarah's delivered. Pharaoh sends them out of Egypt. Um, and I can imagine that trip back to Canaan was probably a really quiet trip. I was just, I just probably just like, even the servants are probably like, oh, we better not say anything. Let's just go, you know. Everybody's just kind of walking there. <laughs> and so 
Pharaoh, man, whatever that plague was, he was so wanting to get rid of it that he's like, I don't want anything back. from. In fact, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Abraham. Here's your wife. Keep everything I gave you. Get out of town, right? And, and he told his princes, get them out of here. Um, take your wife, take your stuff, and get out of Dodge. Um, now, is that a good thing? Well, later on in the story, we'll find out that Abram acquired a Hebrew slave by the name of Hagar. Or excuse me, an Egyptian slave by the name of Hagar. And that's going to open up a whole other can of worms that affects the nation of Israel to this day, actually. So we'll look at that later. But you know what's interesting? The Jewish Targum says that when Abraham left Egypt, they say that he was literally, and they use the word that he was literally overloaded with silver and gold. Think about this. Too much to carry back, or almost too much to be carried back. He had lots of livestock. He had lots of mules and oxen. Too much for the oxen. It was overloaded. All these servants that could carry stuff too. Too much for them. He had so much gold and silver that they say he was overloaded with stuff. Now, what would you be? What would you be like? Or what would it be like for you if you were overloaded with silver and gold? Man, you had so much money you didn't know what to do with, right? Well, first thing, you'd probably buy a house. I mean, you know, come on. Abraham didn't do that. He was overloaded. In fact, he was very, very wealthy, and he's going to continue getting wealthier and wealthier. And he still pitches tents everywhere he goes. He never builds a house. He's always, he's got eternity on his heart. Always. Now, let's say, I'm not saying, okay, you guys, we need, all need to sell our houses and live in tents and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But he had the right priorities, right? He continues pitching tents in the promised land. He has the right focus. He possesses possessions. In fact, we find out he possesses a lot of possessions. But you guess what? Those possessions don't possess him. And that's an important difference. Those possessions that he has. And you know, this sounds kind of cliche. You've probably heard it before, but it's timely. Um, by the way, Abram is going to falter in fear again um, in the same way. And we'll read that later. He's going to ask Sarah to lie to Abimelech, another king. And once more, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it, but once more, she's not going to go, you did that last time, what a jerk, I'm going to, I'm telling a bit, she submitted to him, it's amazing. Um, and once more, she's going to trust in God, and once more, God's going to deliver them, and once more, <laughs> Abram's going to get rebuked by a heathen. Um, you know, I get encouraged by this. You know, the Bible you know, they, they don't hide the shortcomings of, of the people in the, in the Bible that we read. Abraham's got great faith. He's going to do some things that are just amazing steps of faith. But we also see his weaknesses. And the Bible doesn't hide it. Um, warts and all, Abraham's life is exposed for you and I. Why? To encourage us. And uh, I get encouragement from that. You know, I wish that if I made a mistake... Uh, and it gets exposed, or I repent, or whatever, whatever happens, and I go, okay, that was that was wrong. That was a sin. I shouldn't. I wish that from that point on, it's like I've learned my lesson. It's not going to happen again. But guess what? Sometimes those things happen again, and you you blow it again. And I'm encouraged by the story of Abraham because God's grace. Wives, your husband may blow it and act like a dodo repeatedly. 
And maybe he does, I don't know. But continue trusting in God through those difficult situations because God is faithful. Yeah, I want to just share a story with you, and I'm not I'm gonna kind of keep it kind of generic, but my wife and I were having a discussion not too terribly long ago about some issue that we were dealing with, and, and I had one way of viewing it, and, I, and, I, and she had a different way. And I said, this is how I'm approaching this. And she said, I think you're in sin. I think it's wrong. And, uh, and so I'm like, that's, I'm sorry, but that's how I feel about it. And, you know, she could have harped on it. She could have brought it up. She could have said, oh, I think you're in the wrong. You know, she never did that. She just she she shared her heart with me. She said, "I think you're I think you're wrong," and I'm like, "Okay, I think I'm okay. You think I'm wrong? Big deal." I mean, no, I didn't say big deal. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, um, but you know what? About I don't know, maybe a couple months later, the Lord did something, and and it wasn't because of what she said. I just the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart, and I came to her. And I said, "Honey," I said I think we need to do this and all of a sudden she started crying I'm not looking at her because I don't want to she started crying and I'm like oh that's not it's, it's always a bad thing when you make your wife cry right it's like they weren't tears of sadness man they were tears of joy she goes and, and then she goes I've been praying that God would change your heart and I'm like well I guess he did and that's happened several times and I'm not saying you know look at her she's this she is a wonderful woman but but I just want to say women Wives, man, trust the Lord. Pray for your husbands. Uh, allow the Lord to do the work. You know, instead of trying to be the Holy Spirit in your husband's lives, allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does a lot better job of being the Holy Spirit than you do of being the Holy Spirit. And God will honor those prayers. I'm a testimony to it. So, I'm still a dodo. <laughs> I still make mistakes. But uh, why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. <clears throat> Next week we'll be looking at uh, more about Lot and Abraham, and, and uh, there's some there's some good stuff to to glean out of those next couple chapters. We'll be looking at that next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for uh, just uh, having this in the Bible, Lord. That uh, Lord, we we know sometimes we falter in our faith, Lord. We're not always. Um, great people of faith lord sometimes fear takes a hold of us and lord we find sometimes when we're in fear that our worship time lord our devotion time lord it goes by the wayside because we're consumed with fear heavenly father i thank you that uh lord you you didn't uh take the promise away from abraham because of his failures lord you were faithful because you are faithful and lord it was by your grace everything was by your grace to begin with and i i just thank you for that lesson and father i thank you that lord you've given us promises and it's not based on our performance but it's based on who you are and on your grace lord i pray that we might just grow and and learn to grow from this lord and and that lord we might trust you Lord, I, I, I just pray for all the wives in this fellowship, Lord. I know, uh, I know uh, they go through difficult times with, with husbands. And, and uh, guys, sometimes we make a wrong decision. We, we, we base our decisions on something other than faith. And, and Lord, I just pray for the, for the marriages in this family. Or in this, well, we are a family. I pray for the marriages in this, in this fellowship, Lord, and, and uh, I pray for the wives, Lord. I pray for those that are dealing with difficult situations right now, Lord, that they might take heart, Lord, to continue to trust you and to look to you for, your, for the, 
the deliverance that you will do, Lord. And so, Lord, just thank you for your message this morning. And, Father, I pray your blessing upon your people. And uh, thank you for this day now. In Jesus' name, amen.